Okay, so, um, yeah, the iPads are not working for some reason. So Ian's just going to control it, and we'll, yeah, big hullabaloo for service. But we're good now. Okay. Um, so today, as John said, we're starting a new campaign. Our campaign is titled Pray Like Jesus. Okay, very simple idea here. It's kind of just as it sounds, no surprises. We're going to talk about how to pray like Jesus prayed. So, um, and part of this is practicing prayer. So we're going to practice every Wednesday, as John said, Wednesday morning, 6 to 8 a.m. and 6 to 8 p.m. We will be here and we'll be praying. Come for 20 minutes, 30, 10, all two hours, don't care. Just come, pray with us. We would love to be here and just pray together. When I say don't care, I mean don't care time phrase. I would love to have you here, okay? Wednesdays, we'll be practicing this together in community. We hope that you'll be practicing it privately as well. Because when Jesus teaches us how to pray, he says to go into private and pray in solitude. And your heavenly Father sees you. But the idea here, as I said, is simple. We're going to read through the Gospels. We're going to see what Jesus taught about prayer. And we're going to see how Jesus lived a life of prayer. Both are key. Okay? Jesus taught us how to pray. Disciples on one occasion say, Lord, teach us to pray. And he does. He teaches them to pray. He doesn't just go, nah, figure it out on your own, right? Also, Jesus lived a life of prayer. So when did he pray? How old did he pray? How long did he pray? What kind of prayers did he pray? All of this. We're going to just look at the life of Jesus and like the WWJD bracelets. Just say like, what would Jesus do here? Because one of the things that I often hear about prayer, and I'm guessing some of you are thinking, is one, one you're probably just feeling guilty every time we talk about prayer. You'd be like, I don't pray enough. I should pray more. It's the main thing that I hear. Okay, so I hope this series will kind of alleviate that burden on you um, because we, we want to pray in every way like Jesus did. That's awesome. So that's the one thing I hear, and I also hear, I don't know how to pray. So let's look at the life of Jesus. When we don't know what to do, let's look at his life, and if he talks about it and teaches on it, let's model and live after his life and teaching. Okay, so very simple idea. Harder to do. But very simple idea. So we're just going to go through the Gospels, look at various parts of the Gospels, and see how Jesus prayed. Because it's everywhere. Simple search of prayer in the Gospels is everywhere. Jesus is always talking to God. He's always praying. It's all over the place. Okay, this will take us the entire campaign to work through. So where we're going to start, though, is actually not even Jesus praying to the Father. Uh, we're going to start with... Prayer, okay, so prayer definition of it, a working definition is just going to be communication with God, okay? So there's a back and forth with God, right? God speaks to us in many ways, primarily through his word. But interestingly, the prayer life of Jesus and his ministry starts not with him praying to God, but with God speaking to him. So Ian, go ahead to the next slide, man. We're going to start here in Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 13, it says this, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. Okay, so if you remember from the Gospels, John is baptizing people in the Jordan River. John's baptism is somewhat similar to our practice of baptism, but slightly different in some ways. John is baptizing primarily Jewish people who are repenting for not following the law. Okay, so it's a symbol, a sign that they are 
are saying we aren't following God's law very well. Uh, we want to do it better. Okay, so it's a confession and admittance that we aren't doing this well and we need to do better. So we're going to be baptized. We're going to symbolize this act that is going to hopefully help propel us in this public statement, propel us to follow God's law better. So John's doing this. And then Jesus comes up to him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Okay, John's like, Wait, what? <laughs> John is a relative of Jesus. Uh, the Gospel of Luke especially documents the birth of John the Baptist and Jesus. Okay, so John has grown up hearing the stories from his mom and dad about the miraculous events surrounding his birth and then the miraculous events surrounding Jesus' birth. So John knows that his role, his job, is to prepare the way for the Messiah. Okay. So in the John's gospel, when he documents this scene, John see, sees him coming and, and he says that this is the Messiah. This is the savior of the world. He points it out. He knows who Jesus is. He likely has some, some background some up in, from his upbringing about who Jesus is. And then Jesus comes, and then there's a theological part of this, that Jesus didn't sin. He doesn't need to repent of anything. He's the one who followed the law perfectly. John's like, what are you doing here? You... I, you haven't sinned. You don't need to repent of anything and follow the law better. You're doing it perfectly. And uh, you need to baptize me, possibly referring to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Give him the Holy Spirit that Jesus will give. And he's like, no, Jesus, baptize me. But, but Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. Go ahead to the next one, Ian. So what does he mean by this? Simply, uh, some varying, varying ideas of this, but most likely with what happens next, especially what Jesus means here by this is, fulfill all righteousness phrase is um, referring to fulfilling the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. Okay, so the events that happen next are all uh, fulfillments of Isaiah's prophecies of the Psalms about the Messiah, etc. So they all point to Jesus being the Messiah. So when he says, fulfill all righteousness, he's saying, confirm uh, the divine expectations that God has set in the Old Testament and be the fulfillment of those. Okay, go ahead to the next one. So John says, all right, let's do this. It's my own version of the Bible. Okay, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold... The heavens were open to him. Okay, that's the first thing. Three things happen here. The first thing is the heavens are open to him, which is a very common occurrence in apocalyptic literature. Um, Isaiah 64, you can see this. Ezekiel 1, John 1, 51, um, Acts 7, 56, at the stoning of Stephen. Stephen sees the heavens open. Revelation 4, at John's vision of, of heaven, the heavens are open to him. There's a door that he sees, okay, this is a common uh, a vision of apocalyptic literature. And Jesus sees heavens open. Isaiah 64, 1 says this, Oh, that you would rend the heavens. Just means open the heavens, right? Tear them open. And come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. So this is a fulfillment of Isaiah 64. The heavens are open, and God has come down in the person of Jesus. Okay, the next... Heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. Okay, this, the Spirit descending like a dove comes to rest on Jesus. 
the one, this like a dove language, kind of has overtones to Genesis 1, where the Spirit of God is hovering over the creation, right? So what Matthew might be saying here quite subtly uh, that John makes explicit is that what's happening here in Jesus The creation hasn't seen anything like this since the beginning, since creation started. The Holy Spirit is coming down on Jesus. And then again, fulfillment of prophecy, Isaiah 11, verses 1 through 2, it says this, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Okay, Jesse is David's dad, and the Messiah was to be in the line of David. And a branch from his shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Okay, then we see the next thing that happens. Behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is what we're going to focus on in our time today, is God speaking to Jesus. And remember, this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. So biblically, theologically, this is a fulfillment of uh, Psalm 2.7 which says, I will tell of the decree. This is regularly thought of as a messianic psalm. Psalms 1 and 2 are like the opening act of the Psalter. And Psalms 1 points back to the law and how beautiful the law of God is. Psalm 2 points ahead to the coming kingdom of the Messiah and the era of the Messiah. And Psalm 2, which is where this is taken from, says, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Okay, so... This is God declaring Jesus' identity upon him, that he is his beloved son, just like in Psalm 2.7. Then Isaiah 42.1 says, Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. Okay, so these are all pointing to Jesus being the Messiah. The words of God from heaven, the events that have taken place here, it's all saying, like, red alert. <laughs> Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. You can't miss it if you're familiar at all with the Hebrew scriptures, okay? He's here. He's coming. This is the one that I have chosen to usher in the kingdom of God. Okay. So notice here that God speaks, too. Knowing where we are in redemption history is is vital for this understanding. This is after the intertestamental period. So in the Old Testament, God often spoke through the prophets, prophets declaring, this is the word of the Lord. This is what God says, uh, often calling them back to uphold the law better, but essentially creating scripture, right? God was silent for 400 years. Think of, think of where we were in our, in our uh, uh, global economy 400 years ago. It's a long time, right? It's a long time. The U.S. didn't even exist, right, like as a nation at that point. So it's been a while. That's a long time for God not to speak. The Jews had even developed a theology of God's voice, like the daughter of voice, of God's voice being like an echo in this time, where his voice was echoing through the scriptures of the Old Testament because they hadn't heard him speak plainly to them for so long. And then Jesus comes on the scene, and boom, God speaks. And the first words that God says is to confirm Jesus' identity and who he really is. John, can you run and get John? We're going we're gonna to sing here in just a few minutes. So, go ahead to the next one, Ian. 
Big idea here is Jesus' prayer life begins with the Father confirming his love and acceptance of Jesus and his identity. Jesus' prayer life with the Father, it doesn't begin with Jesus just expressing a laundry list of prayer requests to God, right? It doesn't, it doesn't even begin with Jesus speaking to God. It begins with the Father speaking to Jesus, telling him that he loves him, calls him his beloved, his acceptance of him, with you I am well pleased, and confirming his identity through all of this. You are my son. That son language, remember, probably points to Jesus' divine essence, points to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, and it points to the fact that Jesus is going to do what he sees the Father doing. So all of that, this whole event just confirms the identity of Jesus, and it's not Jesus speaking to God, but the Father speaking to him, telling him who he is. Now, we can't like really understand Jesus fully, how he must have uh, experienced this moment. Because remember, Jesus is fully God, fully man, those two natures, how they work together. You and I can't fully grasp that, okay? We don't really get it. But this is like the first thing that the gospel writers mention about Jesus after the birth narratives, okay? So that was like 30 years. Luke's gospel says Jesus is about 30 years old right now. 30 years. And in that time, Jesus was a teenager, right? Teenage years are rough. They're identity formation years, knowing who you are, all of that stuff. I don't know what Jesus' experience was like in that time, being fully God, fully man, but it's altogether possible that he may have grown to doubt his true nature and calling at some points. He may have begun to doubt, are there stories that my mom told me as a kid about my miraculous birth and all this stuff? My mom a little crazy? I don't know. Is this all kind of made up stuff? Mm. He may have begun to doubt some of that stuff. And then also notice before he does anything, God says this to him. God says he's proud of him. In you I am well pleased. For what? Jesus hasn't done anything yet. Just in him and just who he is. Let's pray, and then we're going to sing. Lord, Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this event. That, Father, you broke your silence. You spoke. Lord, you confirmed to Jesus his identity and calling. You told him who he was, Lord. God, we thank you for your word that we can look to for hope, for guidance, for strength, for encouragement. We love you, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Do you remember from Jesus' baptism, we learn that Jesus is the Messiah. The events that surround it confirm that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus begins his prayer life with God by the Father speaking to him. And when the Father speaks to him, the Father confirms his love for him, his acceptance of him, and Jesus' identity. Before I go any further, I don't want to forget to say this. So, Parents, if you're a parent, I want to encourage you to act like God here. Here. 
make sure that you tell your kids that you love them, who they are, and the way we would say it today, I think, is we are proud of them. Regardless of their actions. I mean, you don't have to be proud of everything that they do, but we can be proud of who they are. Don't, don't leave it up to your kids to just figure this out by your actions. They may, but make sure you tell them. This is so important that they know who they are and they know that you are proud of them and that you love them no matter what. So tell them today. <laughs> if they're here with you before you leave, <laughs> make sure they know that. If you have adult children, I would encourage you to call them and tell them and make sure that they know. Because guys, I talk to, <laughs> I talk to successful, strong, accomplished men who are still broken inside because they never heard this from their father. This is really important. Don't miss that. Let's act like God and make sure that our kids know who they are, that we love them, and we're proud of them. The rest of the time, we're going to spend just talking about you and how God views you and how important that is for your life with him, for communion with him, and for prayer. So the first thing that we see, go ahead, Ian, is that as this text communicates, Jesus is the Messiah. And that means two things. That if, if this is true, that Jesus is the Messiah, that God is confirming to everyone who saw this and witnessed this, and to us as we read this in Scripture, he is the chosen one of God. He is the one whom God has promised from Genesis 3 onward, from the beginning, that he is the one to usher in the kingdom of God, to break the bonds of sin over his creation, and who will one day bring his kingdom in full. That this is Jesus. And if this is true, then that means our whole life should revolve around him. That means the words that he has spoken are true. That he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through him. That we are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus. That we should trust that his, his work on the cross atones for our sins. And therefore, we owe all of our life to him, that we give all of ourselves as a living sacrifice to God. And our whole life needs to revolve around his teaching and his way of life. So that's number one. All our faith, all our trust has to be in him. We must believe in him. And then two, that also means he's our mediator. The, when we pray in the name of Jesus, in part, that's what, we're, that's what we mean when we say that. In the name of Jesus is not just some, like, abracadabra word that we say to make God do what we want. That's kind of the connotation that I had as a kid. I don't know why. I don't know where that came from. I was never taught that, but I had that. When we pray in the name of Jesus, we're praying 
in the character of Jesus, who Jesus is, essentially, because Jesus did the will of God perfectly. We're praying in God's will for God's will to be done. Even when we're requesting and asking things of God, we're still saying, when we say, in Jesus' name, but if this conforms with who Jesus is and who you are, God, in your will. And when we pray in the name of Jesus, we're praying on his merits, not our own. That he has imparted to us his righteousness. Because the stark reality is that we have no standing to go before God of ourselves. That in your sinful nature, you have no place to go before God with any request to communicate with him in any capacity. But because of Jesus and his work on the cross, that he has imputed his righteousness onto you, now we have a mediator between us and God and we can communicate with God. This is the foundation of prayer, that Jesus is the Messiah so we can talk to God through Christ. So we must believe that. The next, the next question is, since God confirms Jesus' identity as his son, as the Messiah, the next question is, who are we? Who does God say that I am? So remember, this is before Jesus has done anything. God is confirming his identity. God's telling him who he is. We must also know who we are to God. Go ahead to the next slide, Ian. This is, this is a quote by C.S. Lewis. You guys, I quote him all the time. You guys know I love. I love how C.S. Lewis says things. Okay, here's what he says. He says, I, I read in a periodical the other day, he was writing this in 1941, I believe, that the fundamental thing is how we think of God. By God himself, it is not. Okay, this might be a chicken and the egg thing, but don't get caught up on that right now. You guys, you can wrestle with that in your thinking later. It says, by God himself, it is not. How God thinks of us is not only more important, but infinitely more important. Indeed, how we think of him is of no importance except in so far as it is related to how he thinks of us. Okay, so he's saying that this is the foundation, is that we must think accurately of how God thinks of us. We must have an accurate concept of how God views us, even in his thoughts before we think of who God is. Go ahead to the next one. It is written that we shall stand before him, shall appear, shall be inspected. The promise of glory is the promise almost incredible and only possible by the work of Christ. That some of us shall actually survive that examination, shall find approval, shall please God. Go ahead. To please God, to be a real ingredient in the divine happiness. I've been just chewing on that since I've read this. That who you are is an ingredient in the divine happiness. That if you are in Christ, who you are makes God happy. To be loved by God, not merely pitied, but delighted in as an artist delights in his work or a father in a son. It seems impossible. A weight of burden of glory which our thoughts can hardly sustain, but so it is. In your quiet prayer time this week, I want you to reflect on this. I want you to think on this and how God thinks of you. And think of, of, as he says, the weight or burden of glory. Our thoughts can hardly sustain this when we think of how we are an ingredient in the divine happiness and that God has accepted us and views us as a father views a son or as an artist delights in his work. 
What beautiful thoughts of how God views us. So go ahead to the next one, Ian. If you are in Christ, you are also a child of God. That's who we are. But before, before we read the next text, I had to qualify. If you are in Christ, okay? The worst thing I can do is just is give you false affirmation. I don't know if you are in Christ. You can do all the right things, say all the right things. I will never know that. You know this and God knows this. And as Paul's going to say when we look at this next couple of verses, his spirit, God's spirit communicates with our spirit and confirms who we are to him. So if you don't know, if you are in Christ, if you don't know that all of your faith and your trust is in him for salvation, if you don't know if he has given you his spirit, this is where you start. Go back to that Messiah part. Is Jesus the Messiah? Have you given all of yourself to him? Are you following him with all that you are? Has God given you his spirit? Beg, plead with God to confirm this. Because we need to know this. We need to know who we are to him. But if you are in Christ, if after you have done this, you are a child of God. And scripture proves this to you. Go ahead to the next one. God's word, he confirms this in many different places. For those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Go ahead to the next one again. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Paul is clear about who we are in Christ. And if you don't believe Paul, maybe you believe John. Go ahead, Ian, the next one. John says this, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. So if you are in Christ, you are a child of God. We need to hear this. Remember, this is the beginning of Jesus' prayer communication with God. As God tells him who he is. So for some of you, you really need to hear this. Some of you have a very hard time believing this and trusting this to be true. Because again, inevitably when we start talking about the fatherhood of God, we filter that through the lens of our biological parents. And especially if you've never heard this from your parents, you need to hear God saying this to you. That if you have done that examination and you have found yourself to be in Christ, you are a child of God. Because if we have a flawed perspective of this, what we'll tend to do is view our working for God. We'll tend to view prayer. All of the religious activities that we do, giving, serving, all of that stuff, we will tend to view that as attempting to earn God's approval. We try to do these things for God's approval instead of from God's approval. How this happened at Jesus' baptism, before he did anything, God tells him he is pleased with who he is. And so Jesus is free to go serve him and work from that. So we need to hear this. If you have been working, if you have been doing religious activities, all of this stuff to try to 
hear God say, with you I am well pleased. I believe God says that he has accepted you regardless of your work, regardless of your actions. And so now you can work for him and love him and serve him with that safety and security of knowing that your identity is on a solid foundation, foundation that can never be changed, it can never be taken from you because you didn't earn it, it was given to you by God. So what I want us to do is just spend a couple of moments and just sit. If you need to, do that self-examination. Ask God to confirm through his spirit that you are in Christ. If you know that you are in Christ, God has confirmed this to you. Think of how God thinks of you. Think of the identity that God imparts to you. Put it in your own words. Use scripture. You may need to write it down places so that you see it all the time and remember it because there are a million lies that will creep into your head to try to change how you think of yourself instead of how the one true eternal creator of all things thinks of you. That is of utmost importance, and that we must trust, and that we must believe. Spend a few moments thinking on that. And before we sing one more song together, if you have concluded that that is true, that you are a child of God, I want us to think about this week communicating with God like a child communicates with a parent. If that is true, that you are a child of God, I think that's the best example that the biblical writers and authors could come up with, right? And that God inspired them to come up with was how a child communicates with their parent. Think about how kids communicate with their parents, right? Without any regard for what their parent is doing. <laughs> they will interrupt any conversation. I could be like weeping and crying with somebody and Shiloh would come up and tap me on the leg and tell me he's thirsty or something. Because whatever he has going on is the most important thing. So why would it not be important to me? <laughs> We can communicate with God like that. God is never too busy for you. He wants to hear from you all the time. 
My kids communicate the most nonsensical stuff to me all the time. It doesn't make any sense. There's no reason they had to tell me this now. They're talking to me constantly. <laughs> Pray without ceasing, right? God wants to hear the mundane, the ordinary, the whatever of your life, your day-to-day -day moments. God wants to hear those things. And I think God just wants to hear the simple affirmations too from us. This morning I woke up, <laughs> ate my breakfast, whatever, got ready to go. When I came back into the room, I found this little note on my bed that Ellie wrote to me. She's six. She just colored this little picture and says, I love you, Daddy, on it, and just left it laying around on my bed. Those little, those little moments are so precious. And when I think about how, how that makes me so proud, how that makes me feel, how that contributes to, to my happiness and my joy, and then I, I translate that to God and think, when I just tell God I love you, that God feels something similar to that? Oh my gosh, that's overwhelming. So let's just talk to God like a child talks to their parent today. Lord, we love you so much. God is our heart's cry. To love you, to be with you. Lord, we thank you that you are our Father, that you have called us your children. and that you love us, regardless of our performance. And we are a part of the, an ingredient in the divine happiness. That, Lord, you are proud of who we are. Help us to live out of that, and to love you, to serve others, to love one another, to follow you out of that secure identity in who we are to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's sing a little before we close.